Welcome to a special road trip edition of California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. Join me for a drive through California's Central Valley along historic Highway 99. I start in Bakersfield, a city that looms large in the history of country music. The key was that Buck Owens became a huge star, and then Merle Haggard followed. People say, what was the Bakersfield sound? Well, it was Buck and Merle. That's Buckaroo Jim Shaw, our guide to Buck Owens' Crystal Palace, ground zero for country music in California. From there, we'll road trip our way to Lodi, 250 miles to the north. Along the way, we'll stop in Fresno and pass through some of the state's richest agricultural lands where the produce is hyper-fresh and local. And of course, there's wine. Besides the Zinfandel that Lodi is famous for, Greg Burns of Jesse's Grove Winery will introduce us to another great grape that you may not have met before. There are other regions that are growing it, but there are no other regions in California, the U.S., and purportedly in the world that have this Senso grape that old. Again, we're in the 135-year-old vineyard. Buckle in, everybody. It's a Highway 99 road trip adventure. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that traditionally we bring experts and insiders into our studio to share their knowledge and love of California. But today, we're taking it on the road. This trip starts in Bakersfield, a town with agricultural and industrial roots. It's a community on the rise with a revitalized downtown full of cool shops and restaurants well worth a visit. Here I am at the start of my Highway 99 road trip, traveling up the Central Valley of California. There'll be great wine and really great food. And I'm beginning in Bakersfield, home of the Bakersfield Sound and country music, and uh, a great place to launch my adventure. The downtown here in Bakersfield has been revitalized over the past 10 years or so. And at the center of that is the hotel where I'm starting my trip, the Padre. I'm joined now by General Manager Jennifer Johnson. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. So what makes the Padre Hotel special? Um, everything about it is so unique and special. Um, it's the only uh, boutique hotel in Bakersfield, and it got its um, roots started in 1928 when it was first built. Um, it started out as the largest and tallest building in Bakersfield, and since then it has just continued to leave a mark on the community through the decades. So what is there to do for people when they come to visit Bakersfield? You're kind of right, right in the heart of downtown, so what's, what are some cool things to do that are either within walking distance or really nearby? Uh, within walking distance, there's so many great shops and restaurants to try out. Um, we, in the last 10 years or so, we've had so many young and exciting creatives and entrepreneurs come downtown, and they've opened their own shops. Um, there's flower shops, there's restaurants, cafes, um, clothing stores. We're concentrating on, like, food, wine, and, you know, the Bakersfield sound, country music. Mm-hmm. So what would be kind of like a great itinerary or what are some of the possibilities to kind of experience those things in Bakersfield? Well, I always recommend going to Buck Owens Crystal Palace if you've never been. Which we're going to be going to Perfect. That's that's on our list. (laughs) That's definitely um, going to showcase what the Bakersfield sound is all about and um, that just fun, quirky, kind of honky-tonk, get down and enjoy yourself kind of environment. Great. What about the, you know, is there a big like farm to table restaurant scene here I mean the you know we're in the Central Valley which just produces so much of the you know fresh produce and everything 
you got such great ingredients that, that chefs here can work with, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, we have a great relationship with a lot of local farmers and vendors. Um, so if you take a peek at our menus, you'll see a lot of mentions of local bakers, farmers, people who are hand-raising their poultry and meat and everything like that. We also have, I think it's the largest Basque restaurant population in the United States. So there's a, there's a handful of them within walking distance of the hotel located downtown. Um, and that's a really fun experience too. If you've never had Basque food, it's just a whole event. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to trying some, uh, some Basque food for lunch today. So oh, great. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so that's great. So Do you have fun. any recommendations? Uh, Wool Growers is a favorite. Okay. And then Noriega House is also really great. There's time before I head over to the Crystal Palace, so I'm taking Jennifer's advice and having my first Basque meal at Wool Growers in Bakersfield. It's a lovely, modest place full of regulars, multi-generational families filling the booths. The menu is rich in lamb dishes, but the salads look fresh and hearty as well. So we're a little bit in a rush, and this is our first time here. So what, what, do we, what should we get? Have you ever tried the oxtail? No. It's really good here. The lamb chops are very popular. The fried chicken as well. It's a small menu, so... Yeah. What's the Morris B. Chain sandwich? What is that? That is a French dip. It's a hard... Wool growers did not disappoint. I had what they called the Morris B. Chain special. Perfectly cooked lamb, fresh bread, garlic, and a bit of cheese. I cleaned my plate. The Basque people originate along the border of France and Spain, but they have a long history in the western U.S. with large numbers in California's Central Valley along the route I'll be traveling. Of course, before leaving Bakersfield, we simply have to pay a visit to a California country music venue that rivals the Grand Ole Opry in terms of historical significance. Bakersfield is a hub for agriculture and oil production, but it may be its association with American music that most travelers think of first. The Bakersfield sound became an alternative to Nashville's hold on country music in the 1950s and 60s, with stars like Buck Owens and Merle Haggard rising to fame. And the influence continues today with musicians like Dwight Yoakam. And I'm at the epicenter of the Bakersfield sound, the Buck Owens Crystal Palace, with an authentic buckaroo, Jim Shaw. Jim, you played with Buck Owens and the Buckaroos for many years. Tell me what this place meant to Buck and what it means to fans of country music today. Well, during our years of traveling, I started when I was uh, 23, 1970. In uh, all those uh, years traveling, Buck always talked about if we ever build our own place, we would do this, we would do that. And the whole idea, of course, was uh, have people come to you instead of having to fly around and go to them. And so uh, at a certain point, which happened to be 1996 is when we opened this, he, he'd had enough traveling, <laughs> and we decided to build the one we've been talking about for all those years. So what, what are some of the things that he really wanted to put in this venue? Well, he wanted it to be a, a, a restaurant and a, th- and a theater and a bar and a museum all stirred up together. And so, yeah, so the seating in this huge room, this theater, is not your typical theater seating. So is it basically set up almost like a supper club with tables and chairs? And it's uh, multi-level? Yes. It's uh, a very uh, concert, but family-oriented. Yeah. I mean, certain certain nights uh, when the Buckaroos play there and other of the local bands, it's strictly people out having parties, uh, bringing the family out for dinner. Uh, It's it's the only place I've ever known where you can uh, have live music and, and children dancing with their grandparents on the dance floor. <laughs> so what makes Bakersfield and the Bakersfield sound different from the music scenes in like L.A. or Nashville? 
when people asked me uh, what the Bakersfield sound was, uh, it was it was a very raw, high energy, uh, small group alternative to Nashville's real syrupy strings, background singers at the time, and I liken it to the shock when the Beatles popped out. Four guys, no big production, no overdubbing, just four guys playing music, and I think that's kind of what uh, took the country music by storm. So when people come to Bakersfield, can they experience the Bakersfield sound when they come, say, to the Crystal Palace? Uh, yes. Uh, in, the, in the Buckaroos, there are three of us that have been close to 50 years in the band. So we play one weekend a month. That's great. And, uh, and then we, we have lots of concerts here. Mm-hmm. But anybody that's anybody eventually finds their way here. Yeah. So the space is not set up like a regular theater. It's set up. There's a stage. It's... I don't know. I guess it's kind of like a hexagonal shape. We we call it we we consider it like a ballpark. We're at home plate here, and we talk about going down first base or coming down third base. Right. And, and uh, right straight ahead of the is the long is the long bar, which is probably forty feet long. Oh wow! And, and of course, uh, years and years ago, Buck says we need some wow factor when we walk in, mm. and. Uh, I'm not going to brag about too many things, uh, but one thing I did come up with is, hey, let's hang the Buckmobile, that's what we called that car, on the wall behind the bar. And what kind of a car is it? It's a 1972 Pontiac Grand Am, wow. restore, uh, customized by Nudie, the rodeo tailor uh-huh. from Los Angeles. To make a long story short, Nudie Cohen was a legendary tailor based in L.A. who brought rhinestone glitter to country music. They're known as nudie suits. Everyone was different, expensive, and custom-made, and there are several on display in the Crystal Palace. But Jim's referring to the greatest nudie Cohen artifact of them all, an enormous car mounted on the wall above and behind the bar at the Crystal Palace. It's covered in silver dollars, Western-themed embroidery, and an enormous pair of cow horns over the grill. Nudie actually built this for Elvis Presley. Okay. Nudie was a real salesman. And uh, he got a hold of Elvis and sold him about forty, fifty thousand dollars worth of suits. Uh-huh. And we're talking about back in the '60s, probably right. or wow. early '70s. And uh, Elvis's handlers did not like that. <laughs> He'd gotten past them. Right. So he w- uh, he wanted to sell Elvis more suits, and the handlers were keeping him at a distance. Mm-hmm. So he thought, "I'll build a car like this." He could go buy a brand new Pontiac in 1972 have his guys rip into it and, and customize it like this. And then he says, I'm going to give it to Elvis Presley as a gift. So uh, Buck would go down to have new suits made periodically, and each time he saw this sitting in the back, starting to get dusty, you know, kind of covered up a bit. And uh, So he asked, hey, Nudie, what's the deal with the car back there? So Nudie told him the story, and he says, they still won't let me near Elvis. <laughs> and he says, I'm so disgusted with the whole thing, I'd like... I would sell it right now for anybody that offered me what I have in it. And Bucks, of course, said, how much is that? Uh-huh. And that was about $11,000. The Buckmobile is just one of hundreds of priceless artifacts on display at the palace. By now, it was time for me to get behind the wheel of my own vehicle and hit the road. So, you know, Bakersfield is going through like a whole revitalization, a resurgence. And um, what, do you think, what do you think Buck would, would feel about that? Oh, he'd be, he'd be happy about it. Absolutely. He uh, uh, loved to see all sorts of new things. He, uh, he was never one of those curmudgeons that, oh, it was better in the old days. <laughs> he, he was uh, always looking for new, fresh things. 
So goodbye, Jim Shaw and the Crystal Palace. I'll be back sometime for a show. There are all kinds of musical acts booked throughout the year. Next, I'm heading up to Fresno to explore the Forestier Underground Gardens. Stay with me. I love driving, and it's so good to be on the road. I love the freedom to choose where to go and when to pull over to experience the local flavor and whether I want to go on a spontaneous detour. If you ask me, it's the best way to travel. I'm heading up California Highway 99 toward Fresno, where, among other things, we'll indulge in this podcast's obsession with tacos and their regional variations. But my real goal is a truly unique attraction in Fresno, the Forestier Underground Gardens. This place was the dream of an Italian immigrant who came to Fresno a century ago, overcame some really difficult obstacles, and ended up creating a unique, almost indescribable place that is now open to the public. So I'm here with uh, Lauren Nickel, a tour guide at the Forestier Gardens, and Cami Cipolla, the site manager. And so this place is really amazing. How did it come about, and, and why here? Well, our builder, Baldassar Forestier, uh, he was a Sicilian immigrant. He came from a little province in Sicily called Filari, um, and he came out to have that American dream. And he came to Fresno for agriculture. He wanted to have a great farm. He found himself 80 acres here. Uh, got very excited to start farming, but then he realized that summers here in Fresno are really, really hot. Uh, 115 degrees on average for Baldassar when he came out here. He's not used to it, so he wanted to find a way to keep cool. He remembered uh, some of his first experiences in America were building subway tunnels in Boston. And he also remembered catacombs and wine cellars in Italy. Underground, it gets a little bit cooler. So he made himself a little cellar room to sleep in and keep cool. And that was the beginning of a dream. Uh, He realized that it was just enough cooler to make a difference and that he wanted to share it with the world. So he built himself a little home underground and then started to create Uh, what he hoped was going to become a day resort for other guests to come, get out of that heat, enjoy some citrus, and um, just have a nice time. And so from that one little room that he started with, what did he end up with? Uh, That one little room turned into about 22 acres of the 80 that were excavated into courtyards and different rooms and other unique sites. All right, let's check it out. Yeah, you're going to need to watch your head and your step as we walk around. Our founder was not a very tall man. Uh, he Reports differ. Uh, yeah, some yeah. places say he was 5'6", others say he's 5'8". I think he was wearing work boots for the 5'8 measurement. I could be wrong. Uh, but yeah, so all of our archways are pretty low. We often have to remind our taller tour guests to watch their head and their step as they're walking around. I stoop just a little and walk under an archway made of rough-hewn stones, following Lauren and Cammie down inclines and stairs cut right into the reddish Fresno earth. We're already 10 feet or so below the surface, and the passageway opens up into a room, or series of rooms, really. Some feel like natural caves, but others have skylights letting in the light from above, and everywhere there are planters made of stone containing citrus trees, grapevines, and all kinds of greenery soaking up the sunshine that filters down from above. The name of the attraction makes perfect sense to me now. I really do feel like I'm in an underground garden. It's strange and wonderful all at once. 
The lowest point that we'll get to on the tour is about 20 feet, 24 feet underneath the ground. Um, The route that we're able to walk is about two and a half acres. Um, We sit on five acres total. Um, which is a small portion of the original land that our founder Baldassar first purchased. Um, But that's what's protected um, by our California State Historical Landmark status, number 916. Um, (laughs) We're very, very proud of that. All right, so Baldassar. Baldassare Forestieri, we call him Baldassar for short because that's sort of a mouthful for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, He was born on July 8, 1879 in Filari, which is in the Messina region of Sicily. Uh, He had a big family. He was one of six kids. His dad was a farmer, and Baldassar's dream was to come to America and have his own citrus farm. So that's what he did in 1901. Uh, He first comes over and lands in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, We don't know exactly how Baldassar found out about Fresno, but this region of the Central Valley was being heavily advertised to immigrants in that time as having cheap, fertile land. So the messaging that a lot of people were receiving was to come build your very own American dream right here in the heart of the Golden State. Uh, And Baldassar thought that sounded absolutely fantastic. That is what the land of opportunity is all about. Mm -hmm. So he came up here and he purchased 80 acres of land uh, for about a dollar an acre, which was very thrifty at that time. He was very, very excited to make that dream come true. Uh, He didn't have power tools or bulldozers, nothing like that, just his hand tools, his pickaxe, shovel, wheelbarrow, his own grit and determination. Um, super excited to make that dream come true. He starts digging in the soil out here, and that digging goes really great for about the first two feet of the topsoil. Um, and then he's met with something of a unique sort of uh, surprise, um, and it's called hard pan. So hard pan. Basically, as I learned from Lauren and Cami, it's a rock-like layer of compressed soil. And it's the medium that Baldassar used to support his entire underground world. He broke it into cinder block sized pieces and used it to build walls and arches and planters. Okay. I mean, like, so we're in an area right now. We have a, we're like one level down. There's a, there's two trees, two citrus trees here, two lemon trees, I guess. And, and they're kind of jutting up. They've grown up to above the surface, basically. Yes. We're kind of like in a little, what is this called here? We call it the Trinity Courtyard. Okay, so we're like in a little courtyard that's one level down, but we can see up to the sky through the trees. It's, it's a shaded area. It's actually really pleasant. It is. This was an area that Baldassar was intending to have as a sort of day resort for guests to come in and escape that brutal Fresno heat. That's why there's benches that are in this little planter. There are three of them. Um, There's three trees in the planter, so there's a little kumquat tree over in the furthest corner from us. Straight in front of us is another grafted tree. Um, If you look up, you can see it's producing both oranges and ponderosa lemons. Um, And then we've got another lovely grapefruit tree on our far side there. Um, I am going to talk about the grapevine really briefly. We've got vines that grow all up and around this property. That vine did have three arms at one point in time. Uh, The two that are there are still original to the property, so they're well over 100 years old. But they still do make those dark purple nice wine grapes for us every summer. You can kind of see they're just barely now like starting to to flower, um, which is pretty cool. That helps it stay nice and shady and cool down here too. So did this business idea of his to kind of make this a gathering place for people in the summer heat, did that actually did it work out? He never actually charged admission, but we have newspaper articles that are going back to the 20s from Los Angeles, San Francisco, obviously the Fresno area as well. So people were getting very curious about this place, so they would come by and just, can we just take a look? And he, yeah, come on right, in. Right. 
sit down with me. Let me tell you about my dream. Let me show you what I'm doing. Do we know if he inspired anyone to do anything like this anywhere else? You know, we have people every day tell us that he inspires them, but I've never heard of anybody doing anything quite like this. Um, you know, we have interesting things like Watts Tower and, you know, there's other man-made interesting things, but I, I've never really found any place that's quite like this. Right. The Watts Tower comparison was apt. Forestier Underground Gardens is a quirky, unique, unforgettable place, and I'm so glad I got a chance to see it for myself. Exploring this subterranean attraction was a reminder to me that California is a fascinating place populated by countless fascinating characters. I said goodbye to Lauren and Cami, but before heading out of Fresno, I needed to see how their local take on Mexican cuisine holds up to what I find back home near Sacramento or the rolled tacos I tried in San Diego. In Fresno, California, tacos aren't just a food, they're a way of life. They have something here called the Taco Truck Throwdown. It's a huge regional competition drawing dozens of trucks from all over the Central Valley, and a dominant player in that competition over the last several years has been El Premio Mayor. That means the jackpot in Spanish. They've taken prizes in four of the past nine years, and that's reason enough to visit. All right, so why don't we, so, uh, so I'm gonna try, let me get two of the asada and two of the adobada. All right, two asada and two adobada with everything on those. What is everything? It comes with cilantro, onion, cabbage, and salsa. That sounds great, yeah. All right, anything else for you? I'm not gonna judge the competing claims within Fresno or around the state. I'll just say that if you stop into one of the tiny, modest locations of El Premio Mayor or their taco truck and try the tacos, you are not going away hungry or disappointed. The adobada is a rich, marinated pork, and the asado grilled steak with a fine, roasted flavor. Tomorrow, I get back on the road and head to wine country in Lodi. I'm Soterius Johnson. You're listening to California Now. From Fresno, I continued north on Highway 99 through the Central Valley. It's about 150 miles to my final destination, Lodi, the home of some of the oldest producing grapevines in the state. Along the way, I discovered a tremendous resource that all road trippers need to know about, California Welcome Centers. These facilities are located all over the state. There's one in Oceanside, one in Pismo Beach, another in Santa Rosa, etc. And each location is a treasure trove of travel information. The folks at the California Welcome Center in Merced gave me some great ideas for my drive up to Lodi, mentioned a few places I should visit, and then sent me on my way with a sparkling new state map and a copy of the California Visitor's Guide. After this quick pit stop, I was back on the road in no time. All around me, I saw signs of the agricultural richness of California's Central Valley. More than half the fruits, vegetables, and nuts produced in the U.S. come from here. This area really is America's breadbasket, and if you know where to go, there are places where a traveler can sample the goods. So I turn off Highway 99 about 20 miles before my destination in Lodi. I'm going to visit a historic farm stand, the Fruit Bowl, in Stockton, California. I'm Ralph Lichetti. I've been here pretty much all my life. This uh, business was started by my parents uh, in 1947, and uh, I never got too far. (laughs) It's a pretty nice place, though. I mean, what what else do you need? You got fresh produce, fresh fruit, sunshine, clean air. Yeah. So it's it's really great. So so what's in season right now? What should I be looking at to pick up? 
Well, right now, we're, it's early in the season, and things are running a couple weeks late this year because of the winter we've had, which has been very beneficial, all the rain, we needed the rain. But uh, so currently we just have fava beans and asparagus that are from the Delta um, and strawberries that are from the coast. And actually two or three days ago I started picking our very first peaches. Oh. And so that's really our, uh, one of our main commodities, peaches and cherries. Peaches, we grow over 65 varieties of peaches. We start now with these first ones and we'll pick uh, a variety of yellow flesh and also a variety of white flesh. Uh, every week until the middle of September, if everything holds together. You know. I saw some blueberries as well over there. Those are grown by a friend of ours. Uh, these particular ones are from Bakersfield, but in a week or two he'll be starting up here as well. So traditionally, when the business started many years ago, uh, we would rely on neighbors, old, usually older Italians that had large gardens and stuff, and I've got extra squash or I've got extra chestnuts or whatever it is, or basil. And they would, uh, mom and dad would say, sure, we'll try to sell the extra. And that's how it kind of began. It was kind of a, I guess you could say, a private farmer's market before farmer's markets were even thought of or popular in this area anyway. Uh -huh. And so we've kind of maintained that tradition. If there's neighbors around that have uh, extra supplies or a few that grow things particularly for us, we always try to sell their products as well. So the, so the produce and the fruits and vegetables, everything you have here, they were picked when? Like this morning, yesterday? Well, normally, in, when the season is going, they're picked every day. Uh, myself and one fella help me, and we pick uh, the peaches and all the fruit, and then there's another fella that picks the vegetables. Uh, so we have also 15 varieties of nectarines. We grow plums, apricots, and cherries is a big product for us. It starts uh, be starting this weekend and uh, go probably into the middle of June this year. Yeah, wow. There's nothing like a freshly picked fruit or vegetable. I mean, no. you just can't get flavor like that at the grocery store necessarily. Exactly, and that's why I pick it every day because we pick them ripe so they can be eaten the same day as they're picked, actually. And uh, we don't ship because our, we tell people, people, oh, can't you send me some to New York <laughs> or to LA or something? I says, no, because the way we pick them, they won't make the trip. Right, well, if you want it, you have to come here. It's hard for me to describe how satisfying it was to stop in at the fruit bowl. I loaded up on fresh cherries and peaches for the road, but the best was visiting with Ralph Lucchetti, who runs the place with his wife, Deneen. Before I left, he poured me an espresso and gave me a slice of homemade peach pie. Now that was worth a short detour. Now I'm coming to the end of my road trip on Highway 99, this is Lodi, the home of a thriving, up-and-coming region for California wine. And this is Jesse's Grove Winery. And I'm speaking with Greg Burns, owner and head winemaker. So can you tell us a little bit about the history of, of Jesse's Grove? We're a family-owned operation that goes back to the 1860s. You know, my, I'm fifth generation. Of, I have one daughter, Jessica, this is, my, is my sixth generation partner and in our company. We came here way back in the 1850s. My great-great-grandfather uh, was an immigrant from northern Germany. Spent, he decided he wanted to leave the family trade. He, he came to California um, via you know, ship and 156 days on horseback. Wow, that's amazing. Yes. So, I mean, it seems like the, the Lodi region is really had a, uh, you know, it's an up-and-coming winemaking yes, region. Maybe yes. your, your family was kind of a pioneer in that. Yes. So how, how is Lodi doing as a winemaking region? 
It is doing fantastic. We've we've done so much um, improvement in in this Lodi region, especially during the 1990s. We and uh, we've we've gone we went through all the the suffrage of the of the um the depression and the you know the the curtailment of alcohol in the thirties and so forth but Lodi survived that and to be able to carry these heritage vines forward into the nineteen nineties and we've changed it to not only being a producer for the large big scale wineries like Gallo and Constellation and others, but we've taken back the roots of for Lodi of becoming a heritage um, marketable, you know, venue with uh, we have over eighty wineries in our appellation right now, and, and I've heard that Lodi is is known for its Zinfandels, and, and yes. you have the oldest Zin vines in the region. Is that reflected in the wine? It is. It is. Um, as my best consultant ever for that I worked with said, it's a you can't create antiquity. You cannot buy ancient vines. You have to earn them, and these. These are 130 years old and still going well. It's like, it's, it's fantastic. It's so amazing. Well, can we take a taste of some of your wine? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. <laughs> All right. So, so do you have a Zinfandel that we can taste? I have two amazing Zinfandels to try here. Um, both of them are from old to ancient fine. Okay. What defines that? The first one that we will try is what I would consider an old vine. It's... it's like me, he was born in the fi- 1950s. <laughs> so this one's old. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. So I'm kind of a novice, you know, wine drinker, wine appreciator. Um, so what am I tasting? What am I? Ah. What am I looking for here? Well, I mean, you know, great, thank you. I don't, know how, I don't have the vocabulary you. to describe it. <laughs> um, my vocabulary as a winemaker would be def- very different from that of uh, a sommelier or a, a master of wine. My, my vocabulary is about body and structure and balance and acidity and all these different things. Um, this is Zinfandel. It's, it's old vine to ancient vine. First and foremost, I really want the, um, the intensity of the fruit to be there. And this is very intense. There's, yeah. um, the ageability of, of a Zinfandel, with the older the vines, the more ageable it is. You know, when you're talking something that is 50, 60, 130 years old in the next bottle you're going to try, um, you're getting into something that has um, this, it's, it's almost, almost like an antioxidant. It just, the, um, the structure in the body continues and layers progress. And, and so as a winemaker, and, and as a professional wine judge that, that I, I judge wines all over, um, you are always looking for that. You want to find the balance and structure to a wine. And so I think this has that. There's, um, there's, a, there's a bouquet there. You know, it expresses different types of fruits. It um, has layers to it. It's very smooth, not very tanniny. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate mm. that. So we just tasted a wine that you said the, the vine was as old as you are. Mm-hmm. And so what do we have coming up next? And so the, the next wine we have, we have what I consider, I call it the Royalty Zinfandel Vineyard. The Royalty Zen is, um, is a vineyard block that is old Lodi's oldest Zinfandel Vineyard. So how old is this vine? This one was planted in 1889. I'm, I'm kind of, I know you're avoiding the vocabulary, but I'm kind of tasting maybe cherries or something in mm-hmm. there. Okay. I'm tasting complexity. I'm not tasting heat as in there's my, you know, 
if something's unbalanced, would there, the heat would be the alcohol overriding it, and or you know jamminess being it's it's too too fruit forward and overripe fruit. Mm-hmm. There's not that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. Very nice indeed. At the top of our podcast, I said that we'd introduce you to a grape that you may not know. Sanso is a French grape used for blending in a number of red wines, but at Jesse's Grove, they make a pure Sanso that is playfully called Sinso, S-I-N-S-O. Greg wields the corkscrew. Oh, this, this is my favorite sound in life. There you go. <laughs> what, do I, what I really enjoy about this Sanso is it's a very, it's a much lighter style grape in in terms of its intensity of its color it's kind of a cross between a merlot and a pinot noir again this this vineyard goes back to 1886 in my family's histories so it's 135 years old right it's got a really beautiful color it does yeah. nice nice ruby color and um, clarity is really nice um it's, it's really not. It's a really nice taste. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Again, I don't have the vocabulary to describe it, but it's very different from the Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. It's a little smoother, I think. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of layers and complexities to it. Greg had a lot more to say about the flavor profile of this bottle and our tasting experience, including several more wines that were all distinctive and memorable and all delicious. I've never even looked at this ranch as being my own. I've only looked at it, you know, how do I preserve this to the next generation? Like as a steward, yeah. It's my turn in time. Okay, who am I turning it over to? We're walking up on a tree. This one's 200 plus years old. It's loving life. I mean, it's It's massive. And it's one of many. The Oak Grove out beyond is, is, is full of these type of trees. The time I spent at Jesse's Grove Winery was a great introduction to a wine region that's just a short drive from my home outside Sacramento. I'll definitely be back to Lodi soon so I can sample more varietals and become better acquainted with the destination. Our time together is coming to an end, dear listener, but my journey continued on after the wine tasting. I explored the beautiful grounds at Jesse's Grove for a spell and then checked into my hotel, Wine and Roses, which was just down the road. What a great spot. I had a fantastic meal there at Townhouse Restaurant and really enjoyed soaking up the scenery and the welcoming, tranquil vibe in Lodi. It's safe to say that I have a newfound appreciation for all of the things you can see and do in California's Central Valley. As always, you'll find links on our website for all of the places we visited on this road trip. Go to visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and have fun planning your own California road trip adventure. I had a blast on this road trip, and I strongly encourage you to consider researching an adventure just like mine. Fortunately for you, the new California Road Trips Republic online hub is the perfect place to plan your very own Golden State getaway. It features a huge collection of itineraries you can explore. So go find your perfect road trip at visitcalifornia.com slash roadtrips. If lounging on the couch and flipping through a high-end publication is more your style, go to Amazon.com and secure a copy of California Road Trip's 50 Life-Changing Adventures. The beautiful photography alone is worth the price of admission. 